in Hebrews chapter number 9. Hebrews chapter number 9. I want to give you what the Lord's put on our heart to preach tonight from His Word. If you would, let's all stand for the reverence of the reading of the Word of God tonight. Hebrews chapter 9. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 24. I sure do appreciate the opportunity to be able to preach and stand behind the sacred desk. And um, I love my church. Amen. I love it. And uh, I thank God for sending us here. And uh, my mind is just blown at what God has done uh, just over the short amount of time that we've been here. And, uh, but I can look back and I can just see God's hand in all of it. And uh, no doubt we're in His will tonight. And I'm thankful for that and for His goodness to us. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 9 and verse number 24, the Bible says, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entered, uh, entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin, unto salvation. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to preach tonight. Thank you, Lord, for calling me into the ministry and putting me in this place. Lord, I couldn't do it without you and Lord, I can't do it without you tonight. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, be with us and help us to speak the truth of the word of God. And Lord, to minister unto the hearers tonight through your word. And Lord, may we leave here changed for time and eternity's sake and be praising your name for everything that you do in this service. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to preach for the next few minutes on this thought, once and for all. Once and for all. And I want to begin, first of all, by looking at verse number 24. The Bible talks about His present appearing in verse number 24, which deals with the refraining power over sin. The Bible says, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. Uh, which is sp simply speaking about not in the likeness of, of his presence. And you know that the Levitical priesthood uh, had once entered into the holy place, which is the Day of Atonement, and they would go in and they would offer up the sacrifices over and over and over again. There was never satisfaction made on the Day of Atonement. It was just for a simple uh, season for the year their atonement was made, and then they had to go back through the ritual over and over again. And the reason for this was, was that there was not one uh, who was capable or ready or had the availability at the time to be able to offer up an eternal, everlasting sacrifice. And uh, so we see that Christ, uh, as, uh, as the writer is talking about here, is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which was in the likeness of His presence, but was literally entering into the presence of God and God Himself. The Bible says that, uh, but into the heavens itself... Now to appear in the presence of God for us. And so this was not figuratively speaking and it was not in the likeness of, but literally he entered into the presence of God. And he is currently now in the presence of God. And what is he doing right now? Now is the key. And what is he doing? 
He is simply not condemning us for what we have done. For the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. I say tonight that he is rather than condemning us, making intercession for us and pleading on our behalf. Hebrews 7 and verse number 25 says, He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 26, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so the Bible states that no one else could do what Christ had done. Who had passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, our great high priest, not just any high priest who would go through the veil and offer up a, 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 a simple sacrifice, but an eternal sacrifice, an everlasting sacrifice, ever eternal in the heavens. First Timothy in, uh, chapter 2 and verse 5 states, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that man Christ Jesus. Romans 6 verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And unfortunately tonight, a lot of people live as if sin does have dominion over them. They live as if uh, sin constantly has rule over them and authority, as if they live in condemnation all the time. And if you are here tonight and you were lost, you should live under condemnation because you are condemned. The Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse number 18, it says that they are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. When you were born into this world and you enter into the time of consciousness, you from that point forward are condemned to death. And so we see that Christ came to remove that condemnation. That it's not before us and the in eternal in the heavens condemning us for the sins that we commit, but he is ever making intercession for us. And I'm thankful that I have an intercessor. I'm thankful I have a mediator between God and man. I'm glad that when I enter into the presence of God in prayer, that I'm able to bow my head in Christ. is inter making intercession for me when I don't know what to say, when I don't know what to speak. Christ is making intercession for me. And I'm thankful for that. He told Peter, he said, uh, Satan had desired to have you that you may sift you as wheat, but I pray for thee that thy faith fail not. And who better to pray for you than the Lord Jesus Christ? I say we've got a pretty good deal tonight with the Lord, and I'm thankful that when we pray that he's making intercession for us. Because I tell you, there's a lot of times I pray some certain things, and I'm glad that he doesn't always answer the way I pray. I'm glad he doesn't always say yes. I'm glad that he tells me no oftentimes. I'm glad that sometimes he tells me to wait because God is not caught up in the capsule of time that I'm caught in, but he is eternal. He was before and He is now and He ever has been. He is in all places at all points and all times. And so I ought not concern myself with what takes place tomorrow because He's already in my tomorrow, already planning and preparing what is laying before me. And so oftentimes I think I know what's best for my life and oftentimes uh, we may think that we uh, know what's best. And so we pray to God, not so much, Lord, if it be Thy will, but oftentimes pray, Lord, this is what I desire and this is what, uh, what I think ought to to be. And when God doesn't answer that prayer, we want to uh, sorrow and we want to talk about how bad things are and how God didn't answer our prayer the way that we think he ought to have answered. But meanwhile, God is simply uh, working behind the scenes in ways that we have not the ability to work in. And I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that he's working behind the scenes and I'm glad that he is eternally in the presence of God making intercession for us. Not only is he making 
intercession for us presently, dealing with uh, our power, dealing with the power over sin. But second of all, his past appearance, uh, which is mentioned in verse number 25 and 26, deals with the redemption from the penalty of sin. We see verse 25 states that nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year by the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. We see that he saved us from the penalty of sin. Penalty simply speaks of a, uh, of a punishment imposed for breaking a law or a rule. And so if a rule has been broken, a law has been broken, a command has been broken, that penalty must be carried out. That penalty must be laid on the shoulders of someone. And so those who transgress the law of God is destined to death, is destined to an eternal punishment. And uh, because of this judgment that is passed upon us, someone has to stand in the place of another. And so we see that John chapter 3 and verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Well, we see that uh, not only did he come to this earth to die and to shed his blood on the cross, but in verse number 25 it says, nor yet uh, that he should offer himself often. We see that uh, Christ did what the Levitical priesthood did, which was simply offer up a sacrifice. But Christ went a little bit farther than that by simply suffering. In verse number 26, the Bible states then he must often have suffered uh, which was something that the Levitical priesthood never had done. And no doubt it was a lot of work went into the, uh, into the Day of Atonement when uh, they would sacrifice those lambs and shed the blood on the mercy seat. No doubt there was a lot of work went into that, but the Levit Levitical priesthood uh, was not able to go in as a high priest and offer himself and to suffer himself for the sins of mankind because he himself had sinned and he himself was, bo was born into the bloodline of Adam uh, ever in a sinful state. And so he had to offer up not only for the sins of the people, but for his own sins as well. And so we see that he must then have, have suffered since the foundation of the world. And so we see at 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 5 states, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him was no sin. He was manifest to, not to condemn us, not to beat us over the head with a rod and tell us to do better, but to save us from our sins. And not only to save us from our sins, but to take away the sins of the world. We see that he was manifest in the flesh to put away sin. The Bible states in the end of verse number 26 that he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, is what John the Baptist stated when he saw Jesus standing on the banks of the Jordan River. He did not say, Behold the Lamb of God which covereth the sins of the world, but the one that taketh away the sins of the world. Christ did not come to simply cover your sins, to pat it on the head and say everything's going to be okay, and to try to rub it over and try to paint over top of it to make it into some kind of beautiful picture, but He came to take away the sins of the world. And so there's an important truth that we need to see here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now we're getting somewhere here, you just bear with us. All condemnation is removed and sin's reigning power is destroyed. Sin no longer has dominion over you tonight. We ought to live as if sin does not have dominion over us. 
God does not want us to live under condemnation. God does not want us to live in defeat. He wants us to live victoriously tonight. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Not after He comes but now. There is therefore now no condemnation. And I'm thankful for that. I'm glad. Hey, when I lay my head on my pillow at night, it's nice to be able to lay there in peace knowing that my sins have been covered. They're not, they're not just covered, but they're in the sea of forgetfulness. He remembers them no more, and I'm thankful for that. I don't have to worry when I lay my head down at night what's going to happen to me next because the Word of God has already sealed my destination. And I know because of what I've done by trusting in the Word of God that I will spend eternity with Him in heaven forever because of what he did not because of what I could ever do but because my sins and iniquities he remembers no more when we think about no more condemnation it reminds us of the woman caught in adultery in the very act and Jesus says that he who has no sin cast the first stone and nobody there was able to cast a stone because everyone there had sins and transgressions Everyone laid their stones down and one by one began to walk away. And Jesus looks at the woman and he says, Where are those that accuse thee? And she says, I have none. And he says, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He didn't tell her to simply go and never sin again. He was saying that her sins have been forgiven and he was viewing her as sinless. And it's important that you understand that and you realize that in the Bible, especially when you go and you read 1 John, it was a good day in my life. You always hear people say that if you struggle with your salvation, you should read 1 John over and over and over and over and over again. I'll tell you why that's so important because I'll sit there and read 1 John and try to get a better understanding. But when you start looking at 1 John through the eyes of God and you start seeing yourself as a sinless, perfect masterpiece through His blood, uh, of, the, of his darling son Jesus Christ uh, it would help you to live a whole lot more victoriously as a child of God when you do not see yourself uh, by the past sins that Satan constantly over and over and over again will beat you up over and try to tell you that you're a failure and that you're a loser and meanwhile God's sitting there saying I don't know what you're talking about because God has chosen to forget about your sins he says who condemns thee Satan condemns thee you feel condemned you say well I know I believe but who did you believe in? The Bible says, I know in whom I believe and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know in whom I believe. And because Christ was sinless and took the, uh, took the blood of Christ and took it in, eternal into the heavens, my sins have been eternally covered. Paul says that we're not to use this grace for the occasion of the flesh. But it's important to understand that those who are saved by the precious blood of Christ do not desire to live in sin. And a lot of times, unfortunately, what happens is we'll try to butter it up and just say, well, if we, if we try to talk too much about our sins being completely washed away and removed, then people might go out and sin and try to pretend, well, say, well, our, our sins are covered under the blood and so we can just go and do whatever we please. But saved people don't do that tonight. How do you know that? Because I'm saved and I don't desire to do those things. Now, do I sin and do I do things that uh, brings grief to the name of God? There is a lot of times, as a matter of fact, every single day I fail. Every single day I come up short and I have to fall on my face and say, God, forgive me. And I confess my sins and I go on. I don't continue to uh, bottle those things up and worry about them and fret over those things because God has got it under control. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from 
all unrighteousness. He is speaking to save people when he's stating that. We keep short accounts with God. When we sin, we take it to God in prayer and we confess those sins. Lost people do not do that because they are under condemnation every single day. Not because of what they do, but because of who they are. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Eternal redemption. That means forever. That means it cannot be taken away. That means it lasts for all of eternity. You can't take away from eternal. You can't add to eternal. It's there and it's eternal. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that he has redeemed me from the penalty of sin. Not only that, but we see thirdly, his promise appearing deals with the removal of the presence, from the presence of sin. Verse number 27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Christ can only die once, and only once must he bear the sin penalty. And this is what's so important about this, this word once that you need to understand. is that Christ offered up his sin offering one time. Amen. And if, if you had to get saved over and over and over and over and over again, that would mean that every single year Christ would have to come back to this earth. He would have to offer himself up as a sacrifice and shed his blood again. And then go through the same process of dying on the cross, buried and rising again. But he does not do that. Why? Because it was a once and for all sacrifice. His blood was precious and it was enough to sacrifice for all of eternity. Romans 6 and verse number 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So we need to look at this comparison here. In verse number 27, he gives a comparison as it is appointed a man wants to die. Now, I'm not taking away from the scriptures, but just simply read this. As it is appointed a man wants to die, so Christ once was offered to bear the sins of many. He's using a comparison here. Now, oftentimes we'll read and we'll quote the scripture uh, dealing with the idea and the fact that judgment is coming to all, and no doubt that is true. But in the text, in, what, in the context of what's being here in the interpretation, he's using verse number 27 as a connection to lead into verse number 28. So Christ was once offered to bear sins of many. And the Bible, what's so good about the Bible is that it's not over our heads. I'm, th- I'm thankful that it's not because I miss it every single time. You say, well, the Bible's hard to understand. Well, you might not be saved. Because the Bible is very easy for a spiritual person to understand. If you're spiritual and you get in this word and you have a desire to understand the word and apply it to your life, it will make sense to you. And so there's nothing that could make a whole lot more sense than the idea that death comes to every man. We see that death is coming. Verse number 27, it says it is appointed. That word appointed just simply means that it has been decided on beforehand. I didn't appoint, I didn't set an appointment for my death. When I was born and my mom and dad was handed a birth certificate, they didn't, there wasn't a blank on the back of that birth certificate that said, okay, what day do you want to die? And if that was the case, nobody would sign that. We just leave the back blank. Why? Because no one really cares to know what it's like to die. No one's ever died and lived to tell about it. So, you know, we don't really, we don't really. We just know what the Bible says, all right? The Bible says to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. I'm thankful for that. That's good enough for me, but I've never died. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here. So, Christ 
has decided my death. It's appointed unto me to die. And you know what? That brings comfort and peace to me because God has fixed a time and a place for my death and I ought not concern myself with that. And God knows when it's time for me to be expired and I'm not going to wake up every single day of my life worried and scared to death that I might die today. I might, if I get in the car and drive, I may end up dying. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. It was said that uh, the beloved Stonewall Jackson, praise God, in the Confederate Army stated that he would not concern himself with death and they wondered how he remained so serene and so solid in the middle of the battlefield with bullets whizzing around his head and his response was simply that God has fixed a time for my departure. And and I'm not going to concern myself with that. And so he also believed, uh, one of his favorite scriptures was 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse number 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What comfort and what peace. Well, how did he get the name Stonewall? Because he wasn't afraid to die. Now granted, you're not going to just go... Uh, as it's been said, uh, crawl in a barrel and go sailing off Niagara Falls to see if you die or not and try to play with death. I'm not going to sit around and try to play with it. I'm not going to run around with TNT in my hands on fire and see just how long I can hold it and see if the wick can get short. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play with death because of that. Uh, but simple reality is this, is that God has fixed a point in the time for your death. And to live in fear of death all the time is not the way that God wants you to live. And if you are afraid to die, there's a reason for that. Because for the, for the saved, we're going to find out here in just a second, it's actually a blissful thing. We see, second of all, that not only death is coming, but death is certain. You're going to die. It's not just that, Christ, that God has set, and set a fixed appointed time for you to die, but death is certain. Now, we understand and realize that one day the rapture is going to take place and those that are dead in Christ are going to rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together to be with them in the, in the clouds. And so this doesn't simply state that uh, it is appointed unto all men once to die because some people are going to go up in the rapture. And that would be all right with me. I'd be okay with the Lord coming back right now and be able to go up in the rapture. But let's just say for the time being, we don't know when the coming of the Son of Man shall be. And so therefore, we just assume the idea that we're going to die someday. Like I said, rapture could take place tonight. It could very well take place tonight. But the fact is, is that we're all appointed to die. And death is certain. The wages of sin in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 states that the wages of sin is death. And because we were born in sin, death is certain. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and by death sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It's a penalty. It's the wages. It's the cost of sin. It's death. From the, from the lineage of Adam all the way up until now, punishment and the penalty is death. But not only do we see that death is coming and death is certain, but thirdly, we see that death is not the conclusion, but it's the climax. What does climax mean? Well, climax is just simply when we're building up to something. And everything is building up for this one big moment. And what is that big moment? Let me tell you what it is. Your life here on this earth is not the climax. For if we, were, if we had hope in this life only, we'd be of all men most miserable. My life is not based on what happens here. Sure, it's good to make money. Sure, it's good to have a family. Sure, it's good to have nice things. But that is not what we live for. We are not living to, to gain more in this life, to have more 
to be popular and to gain prestige in this life, but we're put on this earth for a specific purpose, to be a light in a dark world. But we are not to be the light, for we walk in the light. And if we were the light, then we would we'd be God but we walk in the light and every single day of our lives we read the word of God we pray and we try to glean and to be able to exercise and cultivate our relationship with God so we can be uh, more in the light so that way more sin can be discovered in our lives so that way our relationship can grow closer to him that is the perfect will of God I want to know him I want to know him it's not just enough to be saved but to know Him on a personal relationship level. When I stand before Him one day, I do not want to stand before Him as a stranger. I want Him to know me and I want to know Him. Death is the climax. For 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 10, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What does this word abolish mean? If Christ abolished death, why do men still die? Abolish means to, to do away with. Well, death has not been abolished yet, but by proclamation has death been abolished. And what this simply means is, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and by death sin, and so death passed upon all men, that all men have sinned. So the law of death, though it has not been repealed, has been abolished by the law of resurrection. When Christ died on the cross, he was resurrected on the third day. He resurrected himself, and because he got up, one day we're going to get up. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to someday physically die and be laid to rest. That is true. But the Bible says that you are nothing more but sleeping. Death does not have dominion over you. Death does not have power over you because death has been abolished by the Word of God, stating that death has no more power, and God now has the keys to hell and to death. And it no longer has power over us. As Christ abolished death at the resurrection, so shall we be abolished, so shall death be abolished at the rapture of the church. Then the death in, the dead in Christ, they're going to rise from their graves and those that are alive in Christ will be caught up with them without dying to meet him in the air. Those who are called up shall say, as the scripture states, so death, where is that victory? Oh, death, where is that sting? Oh, grave, where is that victory? Why? Because death has no sting to those who know him. Why? Because of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And because he died once, it's appointed unto us to die once. And that's a, that's, that's a blessing uh, to think about. And oftentimes we read verse number 27 and think, oh my goodness, it's scary, we're all going to die. No, it's appointed on the man wants to die. There's a comparison. Appointed on the man wants to die because of the once and for all sacrifice. Yes. Jesus Christ uh, spoke, says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Death did not take Christ, but Christ pursued death, leading captivity captive. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, he states, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys to, of hell and death. And we know that Death has been abolished. But what about the judgment? What about the judgment that shall come? Well, we know that the saved are going to go to the judgment seat of Christ. Those that are unsaved are going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. And we're not going to be standing before God 
Those who are saved at the judgment seat of Christ being judged for our sins because those who have already been judged on Calvary. We will be judged according to our works. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And what are you doing with your life tonight? That's the question. What are you doing with your time? That's what you're going to be judged for. And God is going to be, you're going to be standing before God. And a lot of people, I get so sick and tired of hearing this, where people will say, well, it just don't matter, uh, you know, what we do. If you're saved, that's good enough. I don't want to stand before God who gave everything and sacrificed it all and left the portals of glory and was bruised for my iniquities and uh, laid upon himself the transgressions of my sin. And because of that, I get to spend eternity with him in heaven. I do not want to stand before him empty-handed. I do not want to want to stand before him having looked at his nail-pierced hands and his pure side and, his, and the nail-scarred feet. I don't want to be standing before that knowing that I could have done more for God. And I know everybody's going to be in, be in that predicament because nobody uh, is really going to be able to stand there and just feel, feel like they've just succeeded and done everything that they could have done. I can't get over the times that God has laid it on my heart to hand a track to somebody and I simply said no because my flesh did not want to be embarrassed for some reason and give them that gospel track or the times that I could have spent time reading my Bible that I just wanted to sit and watch a movie instead or the times that I could have learn a little bit more about God or the times that I could have uh, went to church more and been, been around God's people more, the times that I let something uh, swell up inside of me and stand in the presence between me and God, the times that I neglected him in prayer, I could go on and on and on. The list could go on. But the fact of the matter is this, at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be mercy. And that's, and that's a blessing. That's a wonderful thing to think about. He's going to be judging us based on the works that we do, whether they be good or bad. We're not going to be, he's not going to be standing there saying, huh, did you do enough to be worthy to go to heaven? Because the Bible says that Christ will be there interceding for us. Remember, the Bible states that he is now to appear in the presence of God for us. Amen. And because of that, we display the same righteousness in God's eyes that Christ had. Because when he sees us, he doesn't see sinful man. He sees us as righteousness. Not because of anything good that I am, but because of how good he is. And when I got saved, salvation was imputed. My will moved out of the way. And that death chamber of my spirit was resurrected and became alive in Christ. And because of that, man cannot take that away. Man can kill this mortal body. It can, it can kill this off, but they can't get to my soul. Right. And because they can't get to my soul, they can't get to my spirit. Therefore, I can't lose my salvation. Amen. But the fact of the judgment, that reality keeps us in check. And the problem is, it's the reason why people are living the way they are and doing the things that they do is because they're not living, as uh, verse number 28 says, looking for him. They're not looking for him. They're so caught up in this life and all the temporal things that life can give that they've forgotten that there is coming a day where we will stand before God. Now that's the saved. What about the unsaved? The Bible says, And because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. But there's an appointed time, not just for death, but an appointed time for judgment. Yeah. 
and the dead in Christ are going to rise and they're going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to spend the millennial thousand year reign with Christ and that judgment is going to be determined what position we hold in that millennial reign. And when that thousand years is over, the Bible states in Revelation chapter 20, I believe the saddest verses in the entire Bible where it speaks about how the dead, uh, he said, I saw a great white throne judgment and he who sat upon the throne whose face the heavens and the earth fled away and there was no place uh, left for them. And the Bible says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, speaking about those who were great in stature, small in stature, great in finances, great in, in, in standing, and all these different things. But not only that, but those who sat in church on the church pew day in and day out will stand before God and will give an account for as to why they were given so much light but did nothing with it. And there at the judgment, at the great white throne judgment, they will be judged according to the amount of light that they had. I don't believe, and you can correct me right now or after church uh, if you like, I don't believe that the greatest punishment is going to be handed out to Adolf Hitler and to Saddam Hussein and to Soleimani and all these other great wicked leaders that we talk about. I believe that the greatest degree of punishment will be handed to those who was given the light and did nothing with it. Why? Because people sit in church day in and day out and day in and day out. We live in the United States of America. Everybody in America pretty much has got a Bible in their home. They never pick it up. They never read it. They never apply it to their lives. They never pray. They never seek God's face. They just want to live within the might of their own strength and think that maybe somehow they can do enough good, sit in enough church services, read enough of their Bible, or do enough good that somehow God's going to look at them on, at that great white throne judgment and say, you know what, I'm going to make an exception for you. But that's not how it's going to work. You see, there will be no mercy at the great white throne judgment. You have all the mercy and the grace you could ask for right now. Remember, we read in verse number 24 that he is now to appear in the presence of God. For who? For us. And that's for all men. Saved and for those that are saved and those that are not saved. And the Bible says that he is a perpetuation, not just to us, but to the whole world. Meaning that he has made atonement for you. You say, well, I'm not saved. He made atonement for you. So what do I have to do? You have to accept the free gift and the once and for all sacrifice of Christ. Accept it and believe and be saved. We've made salvation a very complex thing. Well, I'm supposed to get up and confess all my sins and different things. Confession, uh, when you get up and confess, you confess your sins after salvation. I confessed a whole lot more after salvation than I ever did when I got saved. But when I got saved, I repented, meaning I turned from my wicked ways and I turned to Christ. I turned to Him and I believed. And by believing, you're repenting. That's salvation. By simply turning away. But after this, the judgment. We're going to stand before God, whether you're saved or whether you're unsaved. At one point or another, you're going to stand before God. And the Bible says that those that stand before God at the great white throne judgment, the Bible says that death and hell was cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And he whose name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is, what, this is what I want to build everything up to this point right now. Verse number 27 says, As it is appointed unto man once to die. And the reason why that's such a blessing, I see the grace of God in verse number 27. It's full of it. The reason why is because God did not appoint you to die twice. He appointed for you to die once. That's right. 
The second death is up to you. Amen. You see, there is a second death. After the judgment, the great white throne judgment, those who are unsaved will be resurrected, just like the ones that are saved, only they'll be re resurrected after the thousand-year millennial reign is over. They'll be resurrected and given a resurrected body and stand before God at the great white throne judgment. And at that point, he's going to look at them. He's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And he's going to cast them into the lake of fire. And the Bible says this is the second death. And if you're lost tonight, that should scare you to death to think about. As a saved person, I stand before you tonight uncondemned. Why? Because of the once and for all sacrifice of Christ, I only have to experience death once. Or because death has been abolished, maybe I get to go up in the rapture. But either way, death does not have dominion over me. Why? Because death is the penalty of sin. And because I have been cleansed from my sin, death does not have dominion over me. Death has been abolished. So I don't stand before you tonight condemned. If you're saved, you don't, you're, not standing, you're not sitting there condemned. You're justified. You're cleansed. You're saved. You've been pardoned. And you ought to thank God for that. You ought to do something with that. You ought to, you ought to run all over the towns and praise God and hand out tracts and tell people about God. Amen. Live for Him. I wouldn't let some little petty thing stop me from a victorious life in Christ. We let the smallest little knickknacks and little things keep us from surrendering our all to God. And I'm just as guilty as anybody. Let little small petty things stand between us and God. Some are sitting here tonight and you're lost and you know you're lost. And the great white throne judgment should scare you to death. There is a judgment day coming. There is a reckoning day coming. You're going to stand before God someday... You're going to be standing before him as the Bible uh, talks about God or Christ stood before Pilate. And the Bible says that Pilate asked him, he says, he simply asked him, he said, why, why are you, uh, he says, I find no fault in this man. And he asked, he asked him questions. He says, what has this man done? You know what Christ did? He stood there in silence. As the, cre the creator or the creation judged the creator, the Creator will judge His creation. And you're going to stand there and you will not have one plea. You will have not one word to speak. And I will go so far as to say this. As scary of a thing as a second death and an eternity in the lake of fire is, I think it's even more scary to stand before God having not accepted His free gift of salvation. And by the time He opens those books and He's done with you, you're going to, I believe you're going to walk willingly into the lake of fire. I could be dead wrong about that. I just, I can't get over it. I can't get over the idea that standing before a thrice holy God, standing before Him, and having, you have no excuse, none whatsoever. He paid the ultimate price for you on Calvary and paid the sin debt, and you're going to spin in His face and walk right off into hell. And people are doing it all the time. They're doing it all the time. We're going to stand before, you're going to stand before God one day. He's going to open those books and you're going to stand with nothing to say. No more excuses. No more pardon. And you're going to be cast 
into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. It is appointed a man once to die. Once, not twice. 